This show is distributed by soundcloud.com. Welcome to episode 97 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Hello, Jason. <laughs> Hello, Justin. How are you doing? Good. So where's my new audio equipment? Yeah. Well, why don't you come and pick it up? It's sitting in my office. Why don't you drive it over? Why should you're I? One, you're, you're the one with the fancy sports car. Are you kidding me? You got your fancy little twin turbo that you never drive anywhere. I'm not your secretary. I know, but you're the guy with the fancy sports car. We're not talking about you being a secretary. We're talking about you having a sports car you never drive. <laughs> don't you want to? Don't you need excuses to get out and drive it around? I guess. I mean, maybe I could bring it over to you. We could double up at lunch or something. Actually, better yet, um, our friend Ken Dye is in town from the Palo Alto for a couple yeah. of days, and he wants to get lunch either tomorrow or Friday. So, oh, that's a good idea. That works. So we'll we'll hook it up and I'll get the audio equipment for our next show. All right. So how was your Christmas? Yeah, very good, very good. I got, uh, apart from the usual kind of socks and uh, and jumpers, do you call it jumpers over here? No, not we, unless you're from England. Do you call it sweaters? <laughs> what do you call it? We call it, well, you mean a sweater? A yeah. sweater, yeah. Like, a, like a kind of fluffy thing that you wear on your top? Yes, that's a sweater. <laughs> okay, so apart from the uh, obligatory socks and sweaters, I also got a rather nice little uh, unit. Uh, by LG, which is basically a Blu-ray player, but it also has wireless built in, so it streams directly from Netflix. So you know, I got the same thing. Oh, or did I got you? A, I got a Roku player from Net Netgear. Yeah, nice. Yours is, yours is from who? LG. LG. Yeah, it does. It does uh, Blu-ray, uh, wireless. Uh, so does does yours play actual discs as well? No, we just got a. Um, so I had been talking to Sandy. I mentioned a couple times that we need to get this you know, this net, some streaming Netflix. Cause a couple of people I've tied talked to had mentioned how awesome it was. Oh yeah. And including me, did you mention it? Yeah. I mentioned it on the show and yeah, we had I a discussion knew, about I, it and you said, but aren't the films all really old? And I said, well, not really. Okay. Right. Right. Okay. So yeah, I, I knew I had heard it a few times. And so I was getting, I, I was sort of getting excited about the idea and, um, I'd mentioned to Sandy. And so she got the, I guess the middle of the line, there's like a 70 or $80, um, version from Netgear. Okay. That you can do high definition movies and it's so like... It just does, it's just streaming basically. It doesn't have the actual DVD player in it. Yeah, but we don't ever do that. Sure. We don't ever really watch DVDs in the... Uh, actually, the kids do. We have a DVD player in the living room for the kids. But we wanted something for our room. Although I have to say, the Roku player is such a hit that we have to move it from TV to TV now. <laughs> from our bedroom to the living room because the kids want to watch all these kids shows. How do you spell that for people who want to Google it? Roku, R-O-K-U. R-O-K-U. So mine is the um, LG BD970, I think it is. LG BD570. Um, and it's, it, the, the Blu-ray aspect of it is freaking awesome. I mean, I don't know what kind of uh, LCD display you've got, but I've got this really nice big large LCD display. And the Blu-ray and the DVD upscaling of this thing is awesome. And it upscales stuff that it streams from Netflix as well. So it works right. on a big screen very nicely. Yeah, I, well, I haven't, you know, I don't have the big screen, but just for the fact that I can get stuff off of Netflix. And, you know, for me, I just wanted some TV shows. Like, I, want, I really want to watch Battlestar Galactica, the TV series. <laughs> and I made it like a third of the way through the first season. And then 
you know, you know, and I was using Netflix to watch the show. So yeah. I, I, and you'd get like four episodes on a DVD and you'd have to send it back and get the next DVD. Well, we got kind of out of, out of sync because I'd watched three of the four and I had kind of fallen all behind because I got really lazy. The thing is, I have to get up middle of the night with a DVD player and mess with the DVD player, and we lost the remote. So it's like this kind of thing that's just enough of a pain that you just I didn't, I didn't end up doing it very often. And so Sandy thought I'd watch them all. She sent it back and got the next disc, and I didn't want to watch it. So I was like, okay, I got to send this back, get the other one, watch the one show, send it back. And so it was just enough of a roadblock that I just stopped watching the series. And the idea of just being able to stream it is awesome. So that's what was the primary reason I wanted to get it is to watch the Bet- Battlestar Galactica series. But then I also found they have the uh, X Files on there, which is my favorite TV show, uh, in Lost and things like that. So late at night, when I'm just kind of trying to fall asleep, and I just want to watch something to fall asleep to. It's just so I'm, I'm looking. I just did a search on um, Roku, and right. I think that you can you can watch uh, Hulu Plus on it as well. Yeah, now Hulu Plus, I think you have to. It's like seven or eight bucks a month. But that's that's pretty worthwhile because basically then you then you're going to get the latest episodes of things like Fringe, and then you yeah. can just totally do away with your cable subscription. Yeah, and that's absolutely that's right because Sa- Sandy was looking into that and she she mentioned it. So I think yeah, I mean seven eight seven or eight dollars a month. I mean come on, that's that's a no brainer. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, because Netflix doesn't have all the newest stuff. I mean it's, it's definitely it, it would definitely be disappointing if you're trying if you're if the reason you're getting it is to watch shows that are playing now. Well, not, you can like, get them by by disc. You get you get stuff that's uh, modern by DVD, right? You get recent recent films by DVD that they mail to you. But then yeah. they have like a next level back where they put slightly less popular and and it's either slightly less popular or slightly older because sometimes they actually have modern stuff on the instant play, but it's just yeah. not the, not the big hits, not the blockbusters. Yeah, well, you figure from a, distribu- a distributor's standpoint, it's like they're gonna, you're going to do the theatrical release, and then they're going to wait a while to the second-run theater, and then you're going to wait a while, and you're, you can buy the DVD. And then after that, you can rent the DVD, and then after that, it comes on you know, cable. So they, it's just it's just sort of that long tail. <laughs> like right. the, less, the less and less profitable releases come out later in the chain, and the same thing goes for Netflix. But with Hulu, right, you're right. It's, it looks like you can watch most of these uh, TV shows. So just just to cap off the Netflix conversation, one one thing that I found really useful is to just do a lot of searching and finding films that you like, and then clicking into them, and then it will kind of it will recommend other related films, and then build up an instant queue. And you can actually build up an instant queue pretty quickly of very classic movies that you've never seen, and then just go in there and you can just spend all day. I mean. Literally, it's all you can eat. I mean, we've we've I guess we've watched about twelve movies on it so far. <laughs> really, in like yeah. the last four days or yeah, so. Like, in, I mean, we one day we watched three movies in a row. That's right. that. First of all, it's amazing, but also sounds awesome at the same time to be able to just sit back <laughs> and watch three movies. I would yeah. love to do that. We watched uh, the Men Who Stare at Goats. Oh yeah, then at the George Clooney, which is a pretty funny movie. And I have a couple that are uh, up queued up. I got. Um, District 9, which I never got to see in the movie. Oh, that's great, yeah. And I'm really looking forward to that. So, yeah, I mean, you know, is, is, is everything that you'd ever want to watch on there? No, but there's a ton of stuff, and it's so cheap, it's ridiculous, and it's so convenient. Well, it's and what you Roku- didn't know what you wanted to watch, because it's like, there's, oh, right. as, as you've kind of gone through life, you've missed out on a whole bunch of classics, you know? And oh they're, yeah, they're absolutely. On there. That's kind yeah, of the well, key. Well, if you go back and you say, "I want to look at all those interesting independent films or foreign films or, or lesser releases that got a lot of reward, awards that I never saw," yeah, that I heard Perfect. about, 
I mean, you, there's probably like 50 of them from the last 10 years yeah. that are all like five star kind of films. And um, if you just, you know, that's 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 one thing I'm thinking about doing. But yeah, in these Roku box, like the one I got, it's like like 70 bucks, right? I mean, it's nothing. I'll tell you really something else cheap. weird about Netflix. Just sorry, just to just to interrupt. Sure. They they once you've kind of trained it, they have categories that kind of suit you. And it's really strange, like, for whatever reason, the category that comes up for me is uh, weekly, work, weekly dramas set in dark workplaces. <laughs> like, that's actually a category. Like, what think, are some of the movies? And you think, what like, are... how, what the hell could fit into that category? And then it's got House, it's got, um, which basically fits into that category. It's got uh, CSI, <laughs> which fits into that category. <laughs> It's got X-Files, which fits into that category. And it's like, bloody hell, how the hell does it get those things into that category? Well, what's really funny is that when you, you're the same queue for, you know, we have three different demographics in this house, right? Right. <laughs> My wife, who likes period pieces and like uh, romantic comedies. Yeah. And the kids, of course, it's, you know, Astro Boy or Iron Giant Robot or <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Me, it's like X-Files or Lost or something. So, yeah, it's kind of a funny mix. Um yeah, anyway, this, this show is uh, sponsored by Netflix, by the way. They, they've paid <laughs> us uh, $2,000 for this episode. Well, well, no, we are sponsored now. We are actually sponsored. And this, this will be the very first show that uh, has some sponsored um, chatter at the beginning of it. We don't know what that's going to be yet, but by the time you hear it, you will know what that's going to be. Well, let's go ahead and talk about them. Now, I'd we say it's talk. most likely going to be me just saying this show is sponsored by SoundCloud.com or distributed by SoundCloud.com. No, we got to. We we have another idea. You already, okay. we got we to make that work. You already. Okay, so for everybody. Well, they would have heard it already, so it's not going to be a surprise. So you can say it right now. I guess we can. So yeah. well, whatever. Uh, so it was Justin's idea to have the kids, uh, my two little girls, say it, and it took us a few recordings to get it, and uh, we still have a few more to do. But this is weird because they're going back in time. I think it's gonna, <laughs> I think it's going to be Colby. I don't think it's going to sound as cute as the girls. I don't think it matters. It needs to. It needs to be understandable. Okay. Well, anyway, so sound. Let's tell them. So SoundCloud is hosting our content. Where it used to be Libsyn. Yeah. And Libsyn used to cost us how much a month? Uh, about eighty bucks. About eighty bucks. Yeah, That's slightly a over lot eighty bucks. Money. Yeah. That's over eleven hundred dollars a year, and SoundCloud is hosting us for free mm-hmm. to be. And, and, and you know we're they're sponsoring us, so then we thank them on the show and mention them. So SoundCloud, and they also had like really aw- they also have really awesome um, uh, statistics and stuff too, right? So you you can kind of go directly to the show by going soundcloud.com forward slash texting, and okay. uh, you will you'll hear you'll see the instant stream with all ninety shows there. It's kind of different to the blog. It does have interesting kind of comments where you can comment along the timeline. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of add add stuff. But you need to be a SoundCloud member. Hopefully, I can get that player onto our blog so that people will be able to do that timeline commenting on the blog as well. Um, but I tell you what, it was no small task moving over ninety six shows. Right. Yeah. That's now. You wanted me to do something like go back and edit titles or something. Is this something you want me to do? I never heard. Yeah, I've I've done everything that needs to be done at this stage. You you've just been lazy and you didn't do nothing. <laughs> Oh, thank you. That's that's uh, that's sort of my modus operandi. I just do nothing, and people start ask, asking you to do stuff, right? That's right. Well, that's awesome. Well, that's that's all, that's great that we got um, we got a sponsor. That's going to save us a lot of money. Yeah, thanks very much, guys at SoundCloud. That that is very much appreciated. And um, we will just 
keep keep uh, monitoring how it how it does and you know spreading the word yeah. soundcloud.com 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 and that's going to be at the beginning of our shows from now on basically sweet i love it okay. so speaking of you know sponsorship and and, and listener sponsored stuff um yeah I, I was talking with Guyon earlier. He mentioned, we were discussing the previous, uh, the show Lost in LA, the previous discussion show. We talked about the idea of a Y Combinator model applied to content development. Oh, yeah. And he said, in fact, there's a really interesting TV show that's not on TV that's distributed for, via torrent. And I don't know if it's yet on like YouTube or something called Pioneer One. And they raised money, I think, using something like Indiegogo. I don't know how they, how they, raised money of like six thousand dollars and he said it was actually really good i mean it's low production value but it's really good and um i i just was reading a little bit about it some kind of like some spaceship crash in the in uh, on the earth and it's all radioactive and then it's like people think it's a terrorist attack or i don't know something like that but i thought it'd be great to interview these guys well that's interesting so they're just completely making the series totally independently but but even even you know you say production value is low. Like I've I've seen people do fantastic effects with just a basic MacBook Pro. Yeah, we if if, if you think about it, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Special effects you can do amazing special effects now. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I think you can get amazing special effects done for you by outsourcing them on the web, just like you can have graphic design done for you. <laughs> right. Um, a buddy of mine, Mitchell, who's one of my best friends. Um, Growing up, he's a he's a stuntman. He was a stuntman. He's more of a director writer now, but he's always showing me these amazing special effects that people do, and they sort of sh you know showing off and hey, in using these amazing techniques they show on YouTube. And he just has a whole slew of them. He keeps showing me. He's like, can you believe they did this with like just just off the a laptop, stuff? right? Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, it was like you know like the District Nine kind of stuff. You know, these giant robots stomping through a major city. And you're like, I can't <laughs> believe <laughs> someone did that with like. I don't know, whatever it is, Adobe Premiere Final Cut Pro or something. Well, it makes sense because if you think about it, like, like you know, classic films uh, going back to, I don't know, The Matrix or whatever, if you look at the computer power that they had to do those films, I mean, that computer power was pretty crap, right? Pretty limited back then. And the software as well. I mean, you know, it's only, it's only a matter of time before that software moves into the uh, open source space. And yeah, you can see. Yeah, well, you figure, you figure that... Okay, just like you can use WordPress templates, I mean, I bet you they'll be, they're like special effects templates, you know, they're <laughs> sound templates. So you, I would imagine is it, if people attempt to start creating content without going through studio systems and, 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 and spending a lot of money on it, that they can probably, just like you can hire, a, you know, a talented designer for a few thousand dollars or even less now to, des to design stuff or a few hundred dollars to create, you know, something that's more generic but still looks a lot nicer than what you could do by yourself probably could do that with special effects people and sound people. So if you were indeed like going to try and create a low budget um, sort of guerrilla shoot uh, uh, TV show or movie, you can outsource the special effects. Awesome. The other thing I was going to say though, is though, if you think about a lot of the best movies that we watch are, are more about story and character and plot and less about the special effects. Well, they say that, that the, that the kind of the last bastion of, of, the kind of movie quality is going to be the audio. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you can't exactly get, I mean, it's really obvious when it's cheap audio and it's bad audio, right? And to get right. good audio, you need to have properly trained audio guys, you know, standing there with a the boom, getting the good stuff. And I know this doesn't answer your question, but this is just kind of following on from the, the whole special effects thing being real cheap. So I think that's right. going to be the one thing that's going to show in, in cheap productions. Anyway, sorry, I, I totally flipped that. 
um, pivoted that question. Ask again. Or say again. What was my question? Uh, I don't I know. I asked you a question. You did. <laughs> you said something. Oh, you said it's all about storyline. You said it's about storyline, not about yeah, effects. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, in the there's another movie that's come out called Monsters, 2010, and it says... Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that, that's that. Yeah, I know that one. I mentioned that to you before. It's called, and here's the, here's the one-line description. It says, Six years after Earth has suffered an alien invasion, a cynical journalist agrees to escort a shaken American tourist through an infected zone in, in Mexico to the safety of the U.S. border. And I watched a little bit of, like, a little, like, teaser uh, trailer with, the, um, with some uh, director commentary, and they shot this on almost nothing. Mm-hmm. And they just did guerrilla shoot. They went to these. They, 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 I think like two or three of them in a van, and they were like in different places in South America or Latin America, and they were just shooting in these sort of areas. And they would get people to serve as extras or whatever. And they shot this whole thing with almost no crew. And said the one thing that you you can't skimp on a sound because okay. you don't have to have great special effects. But if you skimp on the sound, it's immediately obvious that it's. It, it takes you out of the moment. You're not. You don't feel like you're in there, really. It just sounds like crap. I mean, it just the whole. It doesn't feel like you're in the movie. Yeah. So I mean, it's, we're getting to the point where, in the same way that you or I can build a web app and launch a business, right? People will be able to kind of single-handedly create a Hollywood-style movie and put it on a website and sell it. I guess kind of like The Secret did. I don't know whether you know about The Secret, but The Secret was pretty much distributed like that all all across mm. the web. And it was just that they just made their first tranche of big money purely through the web and through viral, right. through the viral marketing. And I guess well, that that is the way that the movies are going to go now. Well, and that's that's kind of what I was suggesting with the Y Combinator model is that you get stuff, you you shoot something with lower budget, and you get it some traction on the web, and then if you want, and then you can probably earn yourself bigger distribution um, via you know just picking up momentum on the web. It's just like before you go raise money now for a startup, if you want to raise money is you build something simple, get some basic customers, get some kind of an audience. So you can demonstrate that there is traction that, that people do care about this thing. And I think almost the idea of creating TV shows or movies that are distributed through the web um, is, is closer to our podcast than it is to web apps. Yeah. Because it's like, the, the you know obviously it takes a fair amount of work for us to do this, right? Mm-hmm. And it would be a lot more work to do a TV, a regular you know twenty minute a month, maybe even if you did it once a month, yeah, right? like oh, TV show, yeah. Then it would be to do you know a twice a week podcast. But it's the kind of thing where you have to get out in the world and do stuff as opposed to just sitting at home and say like you think of the number Unless of people, it's animated. Yeah, well, think about this. Yeah, okay, that's. I guess that's a little different category. But if you think about, if you compare the number of people who write, who do keep a blog, versus the number of people who podcast, right? It's like one, one hundredth, mm-hmm. one one thousandth the number of people who blog because you, 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 there's a lot more production involved. And I think the same thing goes for content creation. It'll be a lot fewer people. It's not like everybody's going to get their camera and go create stuff, but if you look at the number of podcasts there are versus the number of uh, you know radio shows. There are a lot more because, you know, it, it does give people who have the energy and the creativity and the, uh, I guess, desire, the ability to do it. You know cool. that there's, I mean, there's absolutely huge markets for, um, huge micro markets for like stock movies and stock, stock content that's created in those kind of ways, stock sound effects and stock movies. Like I stock photo, like, you know, that, that thing that I did for um, the Think Tank project, that video that I did. All of that yes. video that I took from that site was like 10 bucks for each clip. 
no no one on the show would have heard about or seen this thing but i i basically did like an imagine this this product video and what i did was i took a lot of clips from uh from existing movie clips from this the service iStock photo and it came out pretty professional right i mean it looks it it just looks like a something that you might yeah, have seen really- edited on tv or something right yeah it was really good you did a nice job and it- you, what did you use to create it um just just camtasia mac camtasia yeah, yeah that was good yeah yeah, so you know, so really, it, it it doesn't come down to money. It comes down to just a little bit of skill, paying yeah. fifty or hundred dollars for some off-the-shelf software, and then just you know, spending you know a few hours doing it. So, just to change the topic, um, how is your motivation after Christmas? Well, I've been working my butt off, yeah. so I haven't. Um, I haven't had motivation hasn't been an issue because I haven't had a choice. <laughs> right. I've been, like 10 i took christmas off but other than christmas i've been working pretty much non-stop i work like 10 hours a day and i work in primarily working um for uber um, you're doing this that's is, the taxi thing right yeah uber if you go to uber.com i think uberapp.com yeah uh is, wait no is it let me double check come on computer it's uberapp.com so and for anyone who didn't listen to that show where I first mentioned it, you can, there's an iPhone app. So if you're in San Francisco, it's only in San Francisco right now, but you can open it up and you can order a limo and it'll show on a, like a Google map thing, or, you know, your location and where, and where the limo is. And it'll say, you know, be there in three minutes and it's two miles away and you can go it anywhere. So it's so I'll just cool. quickly sum up that you, you've been working on the software for that. Um, and you've been using Node.js and basically it's a software that, keeps the clients in touch with the central server and just essentially tracks the cars. So how's that software coming along? How's that, that project coming along? Good. You know, so, um, they, they brought in another, uh, I guess, uh, he, he's the VP of engineering or lead engineers. I don't know what his title is named Curtis. Um, and he's really sharp, really good guy. And he and I have been working together for the past week, kind of trying to working through the existing code base Mm-hmm. And figuring out how do we take this next level. Now, my before he, I started sort of working with him a few days before he came on. And my initial idea is like, okay, we need to build. This is a Node.js problem because you want persistent objects representing the logged in uh, clients and the logged in uh, drivers. And because those two apps, those two iPhone apps, are continually pinging the server, and you need to be making real time decisions on, you know, what what limo to dispatch to which client based on their status, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And rather than continually hitting the database and doing queries. And it was all before written using CodeIgniter and PHP. And the problem was it was written by a consulting group out of Mexico, and then it was transferred to another guy who inherited and was trying to maintain it and patch it and keep it running. And it just turned into a, you know. So you you said that you'd initially thought it was a Node.js solution, but it sounds like you've changed your mind on that. No, no, it's still, it's no, it's definitely Node.js. Yeah. And so what we tried to do is say, okay, well, what if we can sort of hybrid it first? We'll use Node.js to kind of do some routing, kind of serve as sort of as a front-end message bus, and we'll we'll still make the calls through the West, as through like a REST server, and we'll we'll try and refactor the, their, the existing code and then step into it. But what was interesting is that the code is just too far gone. I mean, it took me four hours to refactor one function, which, you know, for each of the, like, say, 20 or 25 different message types, there's a big function. And and each function is like, you know, 200 lines long. And it's just, it's just a nightmare. Normally, I would say you you didn't try hard enough. But the truth is, I've been on a project like that. And I know exactly what that's like. And it is incredibly painful. And especially when you have code that isn't very well commented, and that just... I don't know if they've just kind of 
jump things around and they haven't explained that stuff's in different files and there's global variables, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, what's the yeah. quality of code like? Uh, it, there, I would have to use words that aren't allowed on our podcast, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, but is, is that I mean, just we because it's someone else doing it and you hate to do no, it? No, Curtis other... and I were just cracking up because the only thing was consistent is that nothing is consistent. <laughs> oh, God. Inventions, I mean, nothing. I mean, in some cases it's plural, some places it's singular. Some cases it has underscores, some cases it's camel. Some cases it has a verb for a, for a function name. Sometimes there's no verb, it's just a noun with an underscore. I mean, it is... I mean, it, it, what it looks like is that, like, what's exactly what happens. It was created by one group, or cons- some outsourced group, and it was passed to another guy and another guy. And, no, and nobody's, and people are just trying to, like, patch it to keep it alive. Everyone's doing it their own way. Yeah. You know, and, okay, look, here's the thing, right? I mean, first <laughs> version one prototype, that's fine, right? Just get something working, right? I mean, that's the reality. But what happens is, is a prototypes are meant to be thrown away and, and you're meant to start over. I mean, it was funny. I was just listening to the guy. Um, who was the guy who created Java? Um, Gosling, James Gosling. Not sure. And he was, ta- he was talking about that. Now, people often forget that. Prototypes, the first version, the proof of concept is just with that. It's not the first version. And I think what happened in this case, what happens with a lot of software, is that people build a first version, get it up, and then, and then it just goes. That's it, right? Mm-hmm. That's your first version. You don't learn from it and go, okay, now this is what we need to do. And, and, then, and so it's like, it's not that anyone by themselves was doing shoddy work or something. It's just the reality of building off a prototype and getting into production and then stuff, and then stuff is happening. You got to keep it alive. And then, and then you have developers have too many other things they have to do. Were the variables even named, uh, relevantly? No, not, not in a lot of cases, you know, lots and lots of sort of shortened versions and names that are like under- just like S and N and things like that. Not quite that bad, but pretty bad. I mean, there, okay. there was like all the messages that get sent back and forth between the server and client. There was no like wiki or, or file that said, here are 28 messages. These are the schemas. I mean, there's nothing. I had to sort of walk through, you know, these huge functions trying to ascertain in what cases what the XML may, may or may not look like. The only thing that could be worse than that is that if people deliberately name variables that throw you off. So, for example, they'll, they'll use, say something like Superman times by Jesus equals John Lennon or something like that. Yeah. And I mean, just... it wasn't silly. Like, it wasn't silly. It was just, it's just, but you know, look, I mean, we're going to have, we're going to have, it works, right? It's, right. it's fine. It works. And they're going to keep that going for the next couple of weeks while Curtis and I work on the second version of the dispatcher. Okay. And, uh, and they're, and, and that's fine. And, you know, I'm sure you, it could probably, I mean, it doesn't have any bugs and it could probably even run for another three to six months if you didn't want to add a lot to it. But they have a lot of ideas for all kind of really interesting things you could do with the dispatching, priority queuing and the predictive, you know, dispatching and all stuff. But Are you building an API for it as well? Yeah, well, uh, no, there's an API, an internal API to be used by the apps. Okay, so you're not exposing that API yet, maybe thinking about that. I, I, we haven't even gotten that far. I mean, I haven't even had a conversation about it, and it's not my company, so I can't. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'll say that's what we're gonna do. I, you know, um, but what's really so doing using Node.js has been really is is cool. It's really interesting. Um, I mean, I like JavaScript anyway, so mm-hmm. it's fun to use that. Um, well, we spoke about that a lot in the last show, so I probably don't need to get into it too much. Yeah, I won't. Um, but the other thing that I'm learning on this project, something I'm starting to use is Git. Ah, Git. Finally, Git is awesome. Yeah. I'm finally on the Git bandwagon. I mean, so, so have, you, have you done that one where you just basically can swat, uh, swap out the whole thing and just switch it over and then try another little thing and then switch them back and forth? 
You know, I just I just started. I, in fact, we just started using Git like yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> but because we, you know, we're up in this point. Um, you know, I had code on my computer, and Curtis was he was kind of working through the existing code base, and we we had sort of each taken snapshots of the existing code base, and we really hadn't gotten things set up. And finally, n- neither of us had used Git before. He, you know, he we had both used Subversion and. But the existing developers had set up a Git account, so we knew we, we, we needed to start using Git. And we both wanted to, so we finally set it up. And I, I mean, I just did the basic pull. Are you using Smart Git or are you using Command Line? I'm using Command Line. Oh, I, I recommend Smart Git. It's very good. I mean, basically, if you're used to um, just subver- a subversion client, Smart Git is basically the same thing, but you still get all of the, the Git extra stuff. Right, right, cool. Yeah. So yeah, well, right now I'm just using command line, but all I needed to do is, uh, you know, just commit and adds and stuff, and I haven't even done any merges or branching or anything. It's just, it's just okay. starting to use But I thought you'd find it interesting since we've had this ongoing discussion about version control. And so yeah, it's episode it was, one, I think. Yeah, so initially it was the version, now it's Git. But it seems pretty cool. GitHub is really slick, yeah, too. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, so we have a GitHub account, and I, I, they have a very, very nice... Uh, user experience i i think i think github is i mean as well as being you know central repository it's also a place to basically find and get work <laughs> right guess just, you could yeah, yeah. Just, i mean by a, a lot of people are, are kind of headhunting people through github just like they're headhunting them through stack overflow yeah well it makes sense and um i guess it would make that's a good argument to create a major presence on there and write a lot of good create all the projects that you have kind of half done in your hard drive dust them off clean them up take the best ones may and put them up on github and write a little bit of readme stuff and okay you know. you're talking about yourself now aren't you definitely here me yeah because well, i don't have time to do that well but you, but you <laughs> do have a bunch of half-done projects that you you need to get out I have there right or i have i have more consulting work than i have time for okay <laughs> and, I have, and i have and i have epic night so i'm not i don't i don't need to do that now but i'm saying anybody else you know, if I was in a position where I didn't have any consulting work, or maybe, you know, if I if I had a job and I wanted to start moving into consulting, I think that would be a good a good uh, strategy. I mean, among other things, is is to use GitHub as a way to just show off as a showcase of uh, stuff that you've done. Cool, I think. And how is how is Epic Night? What's going, What's the latest on that? So, the the bad news is I didn't work on Epic Night for like four or five days, uh, which is the first time that's happened in a long time. Um, you know, first it was it basically because, you know, Uber is is just really, um, they're really pushing hard, right? And uh, so, and then they brought Curtis in and he and I were trying to get synced up. And in fact, at Travis, who we've interviewed on the show, and, and I don't know what episode it was, called Travis Kalanick, Bringing the Thunder, and that was probably like episode 50-something or 60-something. And what he did, he's a, he, there, Uber is based out of San Francisco, mm-hmm. but he rented a house down in Marina Del Rey and for a week. And so they all, like three or four of them were just down there in this beach house just cranking on code. <laughs> and so I, drew, I drove down there on Sunday. I spent all day Sunday down there working with them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've just been just kind of pushing as hard as I can on that. And uh, because of that, I hadn't really had a lot of time for Epic Night. But today I finally got back on it with Guyana. We started, you know, picking up where we left off. Well, it's a nice feeling to be in an environment like that, isn't it? To be working with people like that on a great project. 
It is. I mean, I, you know, I, I, as I've mentioned, I, I think Travis is awesome, really smart guy, really good guy. Um, and he's, he, he's, he's, he's done it right. I mean, he sold red swoosh to Akamai for whatever it was, $300 billion or <laughs> whatever it was. It was 18 million or something like that. Something. It was this, yeah. I don't know. It's like the GDP of a small country. Right. Um, and so he's done it and he knows a lot about startup. I mean, he's, he's, he's a very active angel investor and uh, he's, he's fun to be around because he's pushing, he's, he's just endless energy and enthusiasm and ideas. And, um, and uh, Curtis, the guy he, um, who was just brought in is uh, just a first rate coder and a really nice guy. So I, and, and it, one thing that's lucky is that there could be, you know, you can work with somebody who's smart and, and, and a really good coder, but you just have different styles. Mm -hmm the way you think, the way you approach problems, the way you code, and it can just not mesh that well. But he and I mesh really well. We, we, we have the same sort of like uh, way, of, way of organizing, the way we like to name variables, the way we like to organize code, the way we like to think about it, even, even our level of pragmatism. Because some people, we can be this range of people like, let's just get something up to people who like really want to sit back and spend a lot of time talking about it. And if you're on one extreme and the person you're working with is on the other, it can be frustrating. Yeah. So that's that makes it even um, more fun um, to work with work with somebody who's uh, who's just uh, easy to work with and really good. So that's huh. that's cool. Awesome. But um, yeah, so um, that's just taking a uh, that's taking a lot of my time. The other part is, you know, I was cons I had very little consulting work in the fall. I was triple or quadruple booked in the spring and summer, and didn't have any time for anything. And then. Um, the fall, I didn't have hardly any work. So I pretty much drained the bank account in the fall. Mm -hmm. And so one of the reasons I'm working is not only because Travis, you know, it really needs a lot of help and they want as much time of, my, of mine as they can get is that I need to make some money. Yeah, that's, the, that's the kind of feast or famine aspect of being a consultant. Yeah, it's absolutely it. I, it, it, it it's it's like making an ATM run. You know, it's like, yeah. I'm just going to just crank out cash, you know, get this stuff built for, for them you know, get it done for them. And I'm also just going to just, you know, refill the bank account so that, I'm you guessing know. you didn't get to, because obviously Travis is your friend and because you've worked with him before, you didn't get to bump up your rate to the 150, 200 bucks an hour, right? No, I'm still at the $100 an hour rate. Yeah, that's fair but, enough. you know, I mean, when you're billing eight, 10 hours a day. Oh, that's big. That's big I've, money. I've been, yeah, I've been doing eight to 10 hours a day. So it doesn't take long doing that before you, you start catching up. Yeah, so. that's great. And it, especially it's just fun. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's just fun. So it's not like it's, it's not like I'm just drudging away on some kind of stupid code base and, and that I don't like or don't understand. It's, it's, um, it's cool. So, so is there any, um, like stack overflow stories or anything like that that you, you had your eye on? Stack overflow? Sorry, you mean, uh, hacker news. Yeah. Said stack overflow meant hacker news. And no, I got a variety of little things though. Um, you know, there's a couple things. Well, oh. we, you know, we're talking about me. Let's hear from you. What, what's your story? Uh, well, I've got a bunch of stuff. Um, uh, I mean, the one, uh, it depends. I don't know. See, the thing is, last show, what, what we got, we got a comment from, um, we got a comment Sam. From, Sa from Sam Howley, who basically said, maybe we talked a bit too much about the show on the show. So I don't know whether that also means us talking about Plugio and our own stuff. Mm, no, no, no. That, he wasn't talking about that. It's, it's just the talk about the Texing podcast itself. So the most recent thing that I've been working on with Plugio has been to put the 30 day free trial journey live. Now, I had originally had a 30-day free trial journey there, but the way that that was done, it was all done internally. So you could sign up, sign up instantly, didn't need to give any kind of credit card or payment details, and you would have a 30-day trial. And then at the end of that 30 days, it would cut you off and say, now you need to sign up through PayPal. 
right? Right. So what we've learned through uh, Bid Sketch and a, a bunch of other um, entrepreneurs is that, and also Rob Walling, is that if you set up a 30-day free trial where you capture the, the credit card details at that point, you have a much lower uh, attrition rate of people kind of leaving you, right? If, so, you, if you capture it before they sign up or you capture it at the end of the 30 days? You capture it before they sign up, right? So you say, look, here's a 30-day free trial, but you've got to give us your details now. Ah, uh, right. Right? Okay. So, so basically, you get them to uh, set up a, pay, a, a payment agreement and you say, cancelling is as simple as clicking this cancel button within the next 30 days. Right. So you're not going to be charged for these 30 days. You've got full access to this system for 30 days. But if you're on the system for 31 days, we're going to bill you on the 30th day. Right. Basically. So um, there's a couple of issues. <laughs> if, you, if you don't cancel, we're going to kick your door down and take your wallet. That's right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and I mean, basically, but the, the guy from uh, BidSketch, Ruben from BidSketch, um, had previously had... Uh, had it working the other way. And then when he set it up this way, he basically saw something like a 70% retention rate from those new... So a lot less people signed up, but those ones who did, it was like 70% of them stuck around and, and ended up being monthly customers. Right. Which is pretty significant, right? Yeah. So um, so I've, I've put it live. Um, it's been live two days and I've already had two people, two people sign up. So it's kind of like actually having two customers, which is interesting because I've never really had... Uh, you know, customers sign up on that quick basis before. Right. So it's already, you know, it's already proven to to be a boost over the way it was working before. But the, the kind of complication is in, I've had to very carefully craft the whole journey so that every step of the way I'm dealing with the the objection of, oh God, I don't, I don't want to give them my PayPal details. I don't want to give them any payment details right now. Sure. Right. Mm -hmm. so, so there's kind of like, I don't know, eight different steps. And each step, I'm just basically saying a little bit more, you you will not be charged. You, you know, you, you're signing up for your PayPal now, but you're not going to be charged anything. And you can cancel at any stage. I'm basically saying that again and again and again and again. And I think that by the time, even the last point where when they click, there's like a last little page that said, I'll say, I say, when you click this button, you'll be transferred to PayPal. And then you know, you're not going to be charged. Then they click a page and what it does is it goes to another another page on my site which basically says connecting with PayPal and then you have to have that page because that's a form that gets submitted to PayPal with all the variables to say what right. type of subscription it is, et cetera, et cetera. Even on that page, I just say two final little bullet points. You won't be charged anything by PayPal. <laughs> you can cancel anytime you want. <laughs> and right. then it passes them over. And it does seem to be, um, yeah, well, certainly so far. I mean, I, I, Do you have analytics on this to, to, test, to test the funnel and the, and the attrition? Unfortunately, I don't have that set up yet. I mean, I've been mainly focusing on the journey. I mean, you know, there's only so many yeah, hours. Once, once, you're, once you're satisfied with the first version of the journey, that sounds like that's something you probably want to experiment with, right? That's right. Because, you know, as we've learned from a number of our guests that, the, you know, your assumptions can often be wrong and they can be, cost you a lot of money. Well, what about that? Did you, did you see that thing on um, Hacker News about the Merry Christmas versus Happy Holidays? No. So um, a website, I, I think it's called conversionvoodoo.com, uh, for, uh -huh. for a client sent out an email to 90,000 users, uh, 30, to three sets of 30,000. Uh, the first set of 30,000 they sent in the subject, it had uh, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, the two words. Right. The second right. one had Happy Holidays. From, right. from company name. And the third one had Merry Christmas from company name. So basically, the one with Merry Christmas had 200% more conversions than the other two over, over a 30,000 um, 
kind of uh, statistical count, which is pretty astounding, just those words. So that kind of shows you how much difference testing can make. Well, what do you think? Okay, so you're half Jewish or Jewish? You're Jewish? I'm, Your I'm, mom is Jewish. I'm actually, I'm, I'm full Jewish, yeah, because my mom is Jewish, yeah. Yes, but... Your your DNA is only half, even though your mom is Jewish, that, right? Because like in, in in Judaism, if your mother's Jewish, you're considered Jewish. That's right. right? Yeah. But if your mom is not Jewish, even if your dad's Jewish, you're not considered Jewish. I don't know whether you'd say the DNA is only half, because I think that the 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 kind of the Jewish <laughs> strain of DNA is definitely in me, isn't it? Right. So I have yeah, that no, Jewish. Yeah, I'm just saying. Strain. I'm just saying. I'm just like <laughs> your dad is not was not Jewish. That's all I'm saying. I put it this way: my bottom, my, my lower half is Jewish. Okay. Um, so here's a question I have for you. Yeah. Now, if someone, if, if, if someone wishes you a Merry Christmas, are you offended or do you care? Well, me personally, no, because I'm, I'm not very religious and I'm not orthodox. Yeah. So here's the thing. I think that the whole happy holidays, I think a lot of people get really irritated about it because it's, it's really more of a cultural holiday than it is a, a, for most people than it is a religious holiday. I know people who are religious are going to be like, no, no, but Christmas started as not really a Christian thing. Okay, it was don't say of, anything that you don't want to get cut out. Cause I'm, no, I'm, no, no, to, I'm just okay. saying, so all I'm saying is, is, is that I think, I think maybe it's because I'm not religious. I think of, of Christmas as much more of just, it's just our culture, right. you know, regardless of what religion you are. And even a lot of people who aren't even uh, Christians, uh, you know, are from completely different um, religious background, still celebrate Christmas because it's a fun holiday. Right? So are you, try, are you trying to make sense of this statistic then? Yeah, and what I think is that when people, the happy holidays, I think people get kind of irritated because it's like an enforced political correct, correctness and people just get sort of, are just are sick of it. You know, they're like, give me a break. It's not really hurting anyone's feelings to say Merry Christmas. And they just kind of get, and every time someone says happy holidays for them, it's just sort of the strained, self-censored political correctness that just irritates people. Whereas the, Interesting. the, Merry, the Merry Christmas is just this more open, like, hey, Merry, look, it's Christmas, right? Merry Christmas. Well, right? well that um, does go in line with one thing that I've been thinking, which is fair enough about the testing. Okay, test everything, assume nothing. However, I bet you any money, most of the time, it's just going to be flipping common sense, Right. Like you could probably have guessed, you know, oh, that's going to be much better than, than something else just by looking at it. Like as, as long as you have basic street sense, normal common sense, I think it's pretty sensible. It's just a question of trying out lots of different variants. So in some, in some ways I've got, you know, I, I'm not as totally blown away by the whole testing thing, right? Because I think that it's common sense as well. Well, I guess it probably depends on a couple things. I mean, sometimes it might just, something might be common sense. You're just not thinking about it. Right. right. It just hasn't occurred to you like, oh, you know what? I mean, on retrospect, you're like, that's common sense, but I just wasn't paying attention to that. Yeah. Right. Because I think that happens a lot. Um, and I think also I, it depends on everybody. Everybody's compass is a little different. Some people are better at ha having a sense of of how things are going to be received. Where other people just don't have a very aren't very good at that. You know, yeah. and just like some people have a really good art uh, aesthetic, right? They they have an understanding of how to dress or how to decorate a room or whatever. Other people, they just have no sense at all. Period. Yeah. And and I think I think that aesthetic sense can also um, it's that's also part of maybe understanding how what, people, what people's emotional reactions are going to be to certain things, certain wordings, certain um, visual things, visual elements. So, yeah. In fact, I just had a conversation about that earlier today with uh, Phil Amon, um, who, for our listeners, he's been on the show a couple times for re in a recent panel show, actually. Um, and he says he listened to the last show, really enjoyed the Lost in L.A. show, and we were talking about the testing stuff. He, was, he thought it was funny how I was giving you a hard time about 
you know, extrapolating from like one data point. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and anyway, he thought that conversation. And anyway, what he said was he brought up the point of he's like, you know, yeah, data testing is important. He's like, but there's also the people who don't test who are still successful. It's like people yeah. like Steve Jobs is the obvious example everyone uses. He's an outlier, extreme outlier. But there are lots of other examples. I don't think Peldy's a big tester, right? He just designed something he thought was good. His wife drew a lot of the sketches, and they didn't test them. They just said, hey, this will look good, and just go with it, right? Right? Sorry. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Are you, I, I just, are you with me? <laughs> I, I was with you. I just, I just had to say something to my mom. She, my, my mom's okay. just staying over here for Christmas and um, we're, we're okay. just getting ready to uh, take her to the airport. So I'm saying, she, sorry, so I missed your last sentence. No, no problem. That's very so, strange because normally you keep on going for like five minutes. There's been, there's been plenty perfect. of times where I've just taken the head, headphones off and walked, walked over to the other side of the room and come back and you're still going. But this is the first right. time you've actually asked me something. It's amazing. Yeah. This is a new well, year. A, there's Nearly. a first and a last. There's a first and a last. I think I'm done. See what happens? I ask you a question and I just get left with dead okay, air. What was the question? <laughs> the, well, the the thing is, is that I think like, you know, the the, the example that Phil brought up was Peldy. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Example of what you might term a sort of an intuitive. But Somebody he's an outlier, just, though. What's that? He's an outlier, isn't he, really? Well, I mean, he's an outlier in some ways, but you could probably come up with a lot of examples of people who have just a pretty good sense they have a really good compass so that even yeah. without testing they're gonna they're gonna know so they don't test but they're still successful and i, I think there are a lot of people there who are intuitive and so you 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 talk a lot about data-driven startups customer-driven startups like oh i'm just not gonna make any assumptions and i'm just gonna build something really simple and then i'm gonna let my customers tell them tell me what they want and that's kind of what i call polo uh, marco polo um you know does uh I don't know, Marco Polo startup, right? right? Like, you know, their old kids game when you're in the pool and you say Marco and then everyone goes Polo and yeah. you're just to tag them and your, your eyes are closed and you don't know. You're just like yelling out Marco Polo. And, um, and whereas the, the visionary approach, so it's like the intuitive or the visionary versus the, I have no idea. I'm just going to let people tell me what they want. And I think it was, um, I can't remember who it was. It was a guy who created, uh, not Edison, who created the Model T? Ford. Ford, right? I think it was, it was Henry Ford who said, who said that um, if he had asked his customers what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. <laughs> That's right. You know? Yeah. So I think, I think it kind of falls in that. Like, you know, you can't always just ask your customers what they want. I don't think people would never have been to predict the iPhone or the iPad. Well, there's in no fact, one way. I mean, we, we've discussed that a lot of times. There, there just is no one truth. You That's know? true. There are many different ways. Is while there are many, there's a magnitudes more ways to fail than or to succeed. There are still a million ways to succeed. <laughs> there's one truth, actually, one truth, which 99.9 percent .9 of the time is true. <laughs> okay, and that is you have to persevere. Yes. Now, of the course, person. there is the 0.001 percent where you don't have to persevere. <laughs> he didn't persevere at all. It was like winning a lottery. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? He didn't do anything. And yeah. Somebody showed up on the door and gave them $30 million to buy their little company that they didn't even try. But I think that 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 is the kind of the, the main truth that there is, if there is a truth. Well, you know, it's like we were talking, we were talking to Amy Hoy. She, she was talking, she mentioned uh, a few things which were sort of out of line with a lot of, a lot of what we've learned from other interviews and that she's hasn't done they hadn't done really any testing they hadn't done any type of marketing really much less you know paid marketing or done any things that Ilya Lichtenstein had advised in terms of getting traffic with Freckle yeah and you know I I would say that some of the stuff she did was probably low probability but it may have worked out for her 
like the idea uh, that you're going to get you're going to get your market right or something by just making a good argument with your boss or with your client as opposed to having multiple offers, which I think is just proves to be absolutely wrong in most cases. <laughs> but it didn't matter. She was able to convince her boss to give her a day at work week just because... Well, you just feel that that you, you can't make that case. In your, from your perspective, you can't make that case without the leverage of the other of the other people. Whereas from her perspective, she could make that case without the leverage and she could be convincing enough to get the money. Well, she did in that one case, but I think in most cases that's going to fail. Most cases, if you want to maximize what you can get, you're going to have to go and find other people who are going to get who are who are willing to pay you more for this thing that you're selling, whether it's your time or your service or your product or whatever. Because if if you're if someone's if someone's paying you X and you want them to pay you two X or three X or whatever, yeah. and you just go and say, "Hey, I think you should pay me more." That's an emotional confrontational argument. Yeah, discussion. And even if you do it in, the, in under the best circumstances, you might be able to convince them. But in a lot of cases, if people are paying you X, they may feel that two X is is too much, or one point five X, or whatever it is. In which case, they're going to try and they're going to bet that they can replace you um, for that, or, or or at least less than what you're asking for. And I, I just think that. But if you go and you demonstrate that the market disagrees with them, that the market is willing to pay you this amount. In fact, more than one, even especially if more than one other participant in the market, then it's hard for them to feel like that they're paying you a fair amount. And they're like, well, I guess if I got to keep the person, I got to pay fair, pay fair market value. And it takes the emotion out of it. Regardless, okay, regardless of the whole discussion. So that the thing is, is that even if there are things that I think that um, Amy didn't do right, she did enough things right that allowed her to succeed. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think if you look at most successful entrepreneurs, they'll tell you they probably did a lot of things wrong, but it didn't matter. In fact, they may not even know quite what they did wrong. It's probably even hard to determine if it, if it hurt them or not because they succeeded anyway. So right? that's kind of where the perseverance rule comes in. Because basically, as long as you just keep stumbling along, <laughs> the chances are you just have to keep stumbling along and trying out different stuff and finding out what works. And yeah. the chances are you're going to get some, some kind of reward. Yeah, you got to keep pushing, right? I mean, because you're you're going to make mistakes. You're not. It's not everything you do is an A/B test. It's a clean room, you know. It, no. uh, you know, double blind test, and and you'll say, "Well, I succeeded." And you might attribute it to doing X or Y or Z. It may turn out that two of them, as you and I discuss all the time, about like you know trying to understand why our podcast is growing, and you'll say, "Well, I think it's this," or "I think it's that," and I'll be like, "I don't know." That's true, or not, vice versa, right? I mean, we don't know. You just don't know. You can't isolate the variable. I guess that is one thing that Ilya, Ilya said, which is that 99% of the time, we don't know. It's just you by just, testing that we find out. You just don't know. Yeah, but if you think about it, that's basically what I've, I've done the whole way along. Because essentially, I have just done so many different, I've, I've built so many little pieces of software. And I've always been, you know, as I said, like 25 or 30 different businesses, right, over the years. And I've always got to that stage where I've put them in front of people and gauged their general kind of willingness and how much they like it. And it just based on the level of enthusiasm I get back from people is how much I then pursue that project. So it's pretty much the same thing, really. Mm-hmm. Well, the one thing is, looks like you're doing now a plug you is you're actually pushing on one thing. Yeah. Even though it's not my most favorite thing in the world, you know, I'd probably rather be doing um, something like Swarm or whatever. Um, but I am just totally pushing on that now. Yeah, definitely. Well, let me, show you, let me ask you about that, okay, because we, we, we had a couple discussions in that Georgie was, that you, Georgie's expected value on these projects of your time was pretty low, <laughs> in dollar value, because you hadn't turned them into significant money makers, and so you felt like to take some of the pressure off and to sort of win her support for you spending time on this was like you were going to put some more time into plug you and make it 
generate some real money as opposed yeah. to thousand dollars a month, have it generate two or three or 4,000 to where she can go. Okay. That's real money. Yeah. Right now. Here's a question I have for you. What now you're working with Sebastian on this think tank project. Have you just put it on hold or what's the status? Well, so, so um, we have put it on hold up until after uh, the new year. Okay. And then we'll, we'll be getting back into it then. Cause I've mainly been focusing on Vibo and Plugio uh, before Christmas. Before okay. The new year. Okay. So you will continue pushing. I mean, you're still going to put more, you're still going to be pushing on Plugio, but you're going to spend some time on, on think tank, your yeah, think tank pretty project. Much, yeah. That's the way it's going to work. Yeah. I'm going to be putting the bulk of my spare time effort into Plugio until I can push that revenue up. I mean, um, I think that's smart. I really do. After, after the 30 day free trial thing, which I've, which I've pushed out and kind of is looking quite good. My next thing is to double the prices and really push forward on affiliate, affiliate stuff. Yeah. I mean, cause look, if, if, if some of this stuff works, let's say you get this thing to making two to three grand, let's say even three grand. I mean, that just buys you time. And then, and then, and then you don't have to be as stressed about it. And Georgie's not going to be, you know, uh, at all upset if you're spending, you know, fewer hours a day consulting and you're spending it on Think Tank, right? I was thinking about this, right? If if it gets to a point where it's earning even one, uh, sorry, three grand, mm-hmm. then that's it. I mean, basically, question answered. Because to get where I'm at now, it's basically been stagnating for a year, right? Yep. It's been stay. It's been staying at a grand. So the very fact that I've got it to three grand means that I've found something that works. All I have to do is scale it. So if I can then scale it to 10 grand or 20 grand or whatever, just do more of the same, just scale it. Well, exactly. Well, that's what our list, a number of our listeners, I think BAM's foremost among them, have just been so frustrated about. They're like, are you kidding me? You're just <laughs> dropping this thing? What are you doing? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're right. They're absolutely right. You prove the model and uh, yeah, you just need to well, put I, a little I've more se- I've semi-proved it, right? I'd se- I've semi-proved it. What, I, what I've proved a pretty huge aspect of it, which is that, People are willing to use the software. People are willing to be customers for in excess of six months. Now the part that I haven't proved is, can I find more of those people who are willing to pay? How do I target them? How do I bring them in? And basically the kind of the business scale of it, which is the the kind of piece that I need to prove. I was saying to Georgie that I think that I've essentially over the years been half an entrepreneur, not a full entrepreneur. I think I've been a half entrepreneur and I've, be, I've gotten better and better at user journeys building a product, getting people to hang around. And that's really what I've been focusing on for the last, I don't know, 15 years. Now I need to focus on the other 50% of being an entrepreneur, which is bringing people in, building the business, you know, doing the whole revenue stuff, the whole business side of things. The stuff that before I've just thought was really boring and, and too much like an accountant's job. That's right. That's absolutely right. That's the perseverance part. That's the doing things that you don't want to do necessarily. And it kind of reminds me, you know, when you're doing the MASH API and you were going to try and raise a lot of money, in some ways you could almost be like, okay, I'm going to raise a bunch of money and all this sort of business stuff just gets washed away with the money hose, right? Yeah. It becomes one big miracle function that takes away all the stuff that I don't want to do. And I can just, I can do the startup and I can just focus on the technology. But as it turns out, it looks like the only way that you're going to be successful as an entrepreneur is you actually learn and do the things that you don't really want to do, but have to get the, have to be done. Well, I was thinking, right. If I can get Plugio to 3000 revenue, mm-hmm. then I will essentially know all of the secrets. I mean, that, that'll be it. I mean, I'll know what it takes to, to move from something that didn't exist through to bringing it, turning into 3000 revenue. So I would actually be able to write an ebook about it. And then that would be a, a second kind of revenue stream potentially. Well, that's that's what um, 
you know, I think Amy had talked about, we learned mm-hmm. from her, it's, it's, it's doing something and then, then improving, being successful in something and then writing a book about how you became successful doing that thing. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty yeah. sure that it would be a formula. Like that, mm-hmm. I, I was thinking of calling it the bootstrap success formula. Yeah. But of course, I, I don't know what it is yet. <laughs> yeah, I, well, once you I haven't find got it. there yet. But, well, but I, yeah. put it this way, I know that every step of the way that I've got to so far is completely, uh, can be completely replicated. And all you got to do is listen to texting for, well, all you got to do, all you got to do is listen to the last 95 episodes of texting and you will pretty much hear everything that I've gone through to get to that point. <laughs> right. And, and then some, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny and, and, and that conversation I had that with Phil earlier today and, and I don't know, it's funny. Uh, I'm going to talk, I keep talking about things that we talked about, uh, Phil and I talked about, but um, I guess if you have a conversation with me, unless you say it's off the record or it's obviously personal, it's going to be on the podcast. <laughs> if it's so remember that, Phil. Remember that, Phil, or anybody else. <laughs> it's going to be on the podcast. So he wears Homer Simpson underwear. Is that, is that what it is? Uh, well, only on Mondays. Okay, right. <laughs> um, so one thing he, he said was like, well, with Plug EO, he's like, you know, Justin didn't charge you know he he didn't raise the rates like the, he's going to double the price or whatever so you know how's that work are people going to be upset and and I said look I don't think that's going to be a problem at all because first of all if you start your price low and the people and you get a bunch of people in using it and you grandfather them in they're going to feel excited that they got in at the discount price right they're, yeah. they're early evangelists you got some money in and and then by grandfathering them in you're not doing anything to, the, to them that's gonna make them feel bad and then you can find out what is the price threshold at what point do people stop not buying it or stop buying it at what point do they start dropping off right so i think just from david like when we had a conversation with david cancel he's like you know um you know they started at 30 dollars a month for their entry level and they went going to 200 dollars a month but it so much depends on what traffic's hitting that page like sure it's mm-hmm. like you, you know, I could find that I double the prices and then I don't get any more signups. But that's because all of my efforts so far have all been consumer-based. And mm-hmm. there is no traffic coming from business-based traffic sources. So really, that's what I'm thinking of doing is, is moving forward with the affiliates and really selling that message to say, look, this is for business users, this is for marketers, and as affiliates, that's what you should do. And if you bring This is that, for marketing departments. Yeah, if you affiliator can bring those kind of people here you're going to get great conversions on this and you're going to earn the money and the good thing is is that if i then double the prices then the affiliate deal that i've got which is basically 40 percent for the first tier so people will be able to earn 40 percent for everything paid um and then for the second tier if other affiliates sign up under them i can lose a maximum of 50 percent per sale but that's kind of around what i'm making now in a non-affiliate sense okay so which is which is good it's just it's just I've never been able to move forward with affiliates because it wasn't enough money left in the pot at the end of the day. So I think doubling the prices could make the difference. Right, right. Yeah, I'm very excited to see. I hope it, you should make a goal. Yeah. You know, you should be like, you want to meet 2,000 by the end of the winter or 3,000 by, you know, you know, springtime or something. Well, I have a goal of I want 1,000 paying customers within six months. That's my goal. That's good. I think, yeah. And I think even breaking it even, even smaller increments might be helpful, but I think having little goals to shoot for, mm-hmm. sometimes just having a number that you're looking at and that you're trying to get up, increase, it helps it's psychologically. It's been, pro- it's been proven psychologically that that helps people succeed. It's just by even watching a number that's important. That's why like, if you weigh yourself every day, it's, it, it's easier to lose weight or gain weight than if you just don't even look at the scale. A thousand paying customers would, be a, would basically be, that would be consultancy rates taken care of then. 
if That'd I could do that. Fantastic. So it's, it's certainly something to shoot for, right? You got the incentive. Well, it's only, right? I mean, I've got a hundred paying customers right now. So it's just times in that by 10. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I just do smaller increments. Just try and get a hundred. You know, it's like you get people by fives and tens. Yeah. You can will your way because if you go too big, it just becomes a sort of nebulous goal. Like, oh, I want to be successful someday. It's like, well, if you, if you want to learn who's 50 pounds, just start by losing a pound a week. Okay. You know, don't, because it's just it's too much. It's not. It's just you need. It's like you know, bite size amount. You know, just go something that you can attain and you can attract. And you say, did I achieve this amount? And I know when last time I lost, I did a big weight loss. I um, you know, lost like almost twenty pounds. I was losing a pound, pound and a half a week. And the reason I was able to do that, I think, is because I tracked it on a spreadsheet and I had a little graph and I looked at it every day and I weighed myself every day. So that this brings me to another point, which is that if I did have a thousand customers, completely ignoring your little little incremental things me thinking, okay, just go for a thousand. If I did have a thousand customers, I'm obviously going to have to start scaling plug here then, right? Yeah. So what I'm thinking is I can use Rackspace, uh, the way that Rackspace serves is every server's an image and you can basically do a copy of that image. What I could potentially do is have four images going and then just, rather than shard the database, just shard, shard everything. So just basically point people to one of those four servers depending on their ID. And sure. Then, and then everything's done on that server. Sure. So maybe 250 people per server. What do you think? Something sure. Like that. So I'm sure it will be a problem. How many people you know, were, you, but, were you in Parizo uh, hooking into that per day? You know, I never even looked. I never even tracked it that closely. Okay. I had like 10,000 people had signed up, but I don't know how many people actually used it day to day. Okay. And it was just running on one virtual ser- private server. It wasn't yeah. anything major. But, um, you know... Yeah, well, I, I, again, I, I, I think you want to. I think you want to make a goal. I would make a chart and and try and grab a hundred at a time. How long right. does it take you to get two hundred? Like, just make a chart, and that way you can hold. It, say, okay, if you didn't make it, what are you doing wrong? Because the problem is, if you, you if you don't take short term goals and you don't measure against it, you you can't course correct. Right. Yeah. You need to be able to course correct. If 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 you need to be picking up, you know, fifty users a week or something like that, or whatever the number is, and you pick up ten, then you need to go. Okay, I need I need to adjust this now because there's no way I'm going to maintain this. And just like when I'm, you know, when you're losing weight, right? If if I say I want to lose a pound and a half a week, and then three weeks go by and I haven't lost a pound, I'm like I'm clearly not doing something right. I mean, they're eating too much, not working out and enough. The slight problem is there's a double a double vector because the one vector is the affiliates. So basically, you know, one of those affiliates could bring in thousands of users. So, I, I, you know, may, maybe my vector should, that I should be focusing on is how many affiliates can I get to sign up at this stage? Something. The, the, the most tangible thing that you can do, I mean, ultimately, you want the most important thing, which is the revenue. Right. And then you need to work backwards from there. Whatever gets you to that revenue, whether it's customers or affiliates or whatever. I mean, it's just, it's like... You know, if, if my goal is to lose weight, but I'm just measuring how many hours I spend in the gym, but yet I'm eating 10,000 calories a day, that hours in the gym doesn't make much difference because I'm still eating too much. Yeah. I need to measure the only thing that's important to me ultimately, which is how much fat am I losing? Right. Actually, it's not even how much I weigh. It's what's my body fat percentage. That's the only thing that's important. <laughs> right. So measure what's important. Don't get distracted. That's what I would say. So on that theme, I have an idea for uh, a, a, a startup kind of related to that. That's something that I want to generate with Epic Night. And a second one that's sort of related. So the first is, you know, I have an idea, you know, there's a, there's a website, I think it was called like 43 Things or 43 Folders. I can't remember what it is, but you would just kind of list your goals. Like, I want to learn French and I want to travel to Singapore and I want oh, to... Oh, like bucket list kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I wanted to make something that's a little more goal-oriented, like I want to be able to do 100 push-ups straight, 
you right. know, or I want to be able to run a marathon. I mean, I'm just picking exercise ones. I want to learn how to play X songs on a guitar or something, you know, anything, things that are hard. Yeah. Things are challenging, you know, things that require effort, persistent effort. And a lot of times what you'll do when, when you want to do things like that is you'll tell other people about it, right? So what we've done on the podcast, we've held ourselves publicly accountable for things that we're doing. So there's a certain additional pressure for what we're doing. There's additional interest and pressure from it, right? Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that you create competitions, like you'll create like a weight loss competition with a friend. And Phil's talking about he and a buddy, a friend of his are ha- going to create it. They both want to write screenplays, so they're going to write a screenplay competition, right? Who can write? That? Okay. So it forces you, it, 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 it sort of, it's, it's, it's sort of a trick uh, to, to get you to do something that you may be too lazy or unfocused to actually do, to its fruition. And what if you had a website that was like, okay, I want to do X, like here's my goals or here are my two or three goals. And you could invite people to be um, supporters, you know, or observers, and they get notified once a week or once a, on your progress or something like that. And they can, and also people can sign in and write comments, you know, be kind of like followers, like people, people can publicly watch. So let's say that you're, you're training for a marathon, but there can be other marathoners on there who are also training and are like, all right, good job. You know, and they're doing the same thing and people comments like, oh, you should try this or you should try that or cycle your training or, you know, you should eat this the night before or whatever. And people just kind of supporting each other and, and, and giving each other advice along the way. So I'm thinking of like some kind of general goal oriented site like that. And then you could, in addition to that, you could have like the grudge match factor. Like, okay, I'm going to do a competition with this other person or with these three other people. It could be just independent. Like, Does I'm going to do, do Ajax. Does um, will will it do Ajax out of the box? Will you be able to basically make any of the views be an Ajax view? Not out of the box. I decided to go vanilla, plain, back and forth the server, but that's not going to be hard. I mean, I mean, depends what you're talking about hard, but certain things need to be Ajaxed right away, like being able to vote, give stuff star ratings, be able to give stuff an upvote. Because I'm thinking about a whole system like this, right? If, if, I mean, this is what we were talking about. One potential market is the front end guys, you know, the Ajax Mm -hmm. guys, the jQuery guys. Mm -hmm. If if your whole thing could could be Ajax, basically, it's it's like building a REST a REST API. Using, mm-hmm. using App Ignite. So yep. you could basically build a REST API for a project. Then those kind of guys could start using jQuery and building projects like this real fast. Because the, the reason why I say that is because I can't imagine this kind of thing that you're talking about being any good unless yeah. it is really rich Ajax. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, most sites that work really well have some Ajax. They're not the entire thing's Ajax. You just have to have enough things. Certain things are just different pages. And... Uh, you know, if you're if if you're doing like um, what about things like you know, charts? You know, like the, all the progress charts and stuff like that. I mean, I think yeah. not going to do that, right? So that's that stuff you're going to need to plug in. Yeah, I mean, certainly you plug in other stuff, right? But I mean, you can generate most of it. But I mean, I'm, all I'm saying is that initially, I, you just need to support some of the basic. Um, Ajax kind of things, yeah. and like you said, you're right. You have a you, the App Ignite will generate a REST API automatically based on your data model. And, and whatever additional configurations you want to make to it. Like, this is private, this is public, you know, permissioning on it or something. And then it's a matter of just adding in some, um, some uh, you know, Ajax hooks or even some, some Ajax functionality, make this Ajaxable. You know, this is a vote. Yeah. You don't have to go to a form. This is just an up or down here, and here's the, here's the default, you know, uh, widget or, or, or image that you use for the up and down arrows or something. Um, so, so things like that, right, yeah. But, yeah, you could definitely do that. There's definitely something I want to do. But I didn't want to do it on the initial version because I wanted to get something out there. <laughs> so now you had said, I'm talking about being accountable. You had said that within, and I'm sure that you'd said this like a, a month ago or a couple of years End of the ago. year. Oh, before the end of the year, you were going to get that um, base camp, the, that 37 signals thing. 
iterations. Yeah, iterations. You're going to get that out there. So is that still going to be I said out there? Two, I don't remember saying that. I said I'd release, uh, I would do the private beta before the end of the year. By the end of the year. Oh, no, you definitely said you were going to get iterations out I there. I said with, iterations. I was going to try and do that within a couple of weeks. Yeah. Which was a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. Is that, is that, are you just about to release that? Is this the big release announcement well, right now? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just a little <laughs> unfortunate. I just got so, I just got so uh, caught up with the consulting work that I'm just like a week or two behind and everything. I don't think anyone I'm, can blame you for wanting to, to earn some money. You know? Well, I, I had to. I mean, literally, we had to. I literally had to ask Travis to pay me up front uh, 5000 because we didn't have enough money to buy Christmas presents. Oh, my Lord. Now, that's serious. Right? Talk about transparency. Talk about trans- radical transparency on the website. That is radical transparency right there. We but- did not have any money. I mean, we were down to nothing. Sandy's like, we are on fumes. I'm telling you, you, you know, call Trav, you know, we obviously going to have to borrow money from a friend or something. And luckily I said, Hey Travis, do you mind if we do it? He's like, no problem. <laughs> you know? dude, that's why you didn't get me a Christmas present. That just makes all, all the sense in the world. Yeah. Did exactly. you get the card that I sent? I did. You sent me a little e-card or something. Did you, like, did you, did you press the red button? What was the red button? Yeah. You see that, that I knew that card had a really bad user journey. I was actually going to say inside the card, did you press the red button? If not, this user journey sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but Georgie was looking over my shoulder and I just felt a bit embarrassed and thought that would just be too geeky to say. <laughs> but yeah, you probably didn't press the red button. It's it's kind of it's this electric card and it starts dancing around when you press it. Yeah, I saw some dancing around stuff. Okay. So you uh, th- thanks a lot for your for the card that you guys sent as well. Man, you guys are so freaking blonde. Jesus. Yeah, we kind of cornered the blonde market. <laughs> For listeners at home, Jason Jason sent a, um, he got one of those kind of custom cards done. Well, not Jason, Sandy. Sandy got one of those customs cards done where you have the kind of the family and the kids on the card. And um, that is a blonde family. Wow. Yes. And Colby, so Sandy, <laughs> obviously, Sandy and I both have blonde hair. And, right. and Colby, my son, so Colby's six, er, uh, six, Izzy's four and a half, and Ari is almost three. And Colby's hair is like white blonde. It is little, It is the blondest hair that I've seen. In fact, there's a kid who um, on Colby's sort of uh, soccer that soccer clinic that I coach. Right. And you look at this kid, you go, "That is the whitest hair I've ever seen on a little kid." And then so he stands next to Colby, and you're like, "Well, okay, one shade darker." <laughs> <laughs> I call him the second blondest kid in Pasadena. So oh, Colby's the second, second. No, this other kid is. Oh, the other kid is the second blondest. He's the blondest until you see Colby, and you're like, "Okay, I guess it is possibly blonder than that." By another shade. <laughs> that, so yeah. is it practically gray or white then? It's pretty much white. It's almost translucent. It's really wow. white. It's the kind of hair that's so blonde it turns kind of green uh, from from the chlorine in the pool during the summer. You have to like, huh. wash it out because it turns kind of greenish blue. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, they're blonde. But um. So anyway, get back to the main point. I had to make a money run, and I've been making a money run just to kind of like refill the coffers, get the stress off of Sandy's face. You know, make sure I have a. Uh, I, I so that I, if I go out and you know, want to grab tacos for lunch. Sandy's like, I'm sorry, there's no money. You can't go get lunch today. It's a peanut butter sandwich for you, buddy. Mm. <laughs> so it got really, it kind of, now I, it's, we're getting caught up because I've been working so much the last week and a half or two weeks, but, and uh, I'm back on App Ignite. So I may be a week or two behind, but it's going to be, a, I'm going to get this, but even if it's just for like three or four people, even like Neville has been one of the primary, you know, uh, you know, this, this, this thing that you've just gone through this kind of uh, hand to mouth thing and getting that money. The, the, you should relish this because it's not going to last long. I mean, App Ignite, when that gets out there, I mean, that is going to bring in some some revenue and it's not going to take very long for that to ramp up to a couple of thousand a month, I don't think. Because I think 
But like, and I'm kind of jealous about it because Plugio is just much smaller little chunks of money that you can take from people. But I think once you've got Epic Night running, you're going to just be, you've been slow out the gate, but you're going to just go really high, really fast. I'm pretty sure of it. I hope so. Well, thank you for that. I hope so. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I hate it that I'm, I'm behind. I hate it because I've been watching the clock. Like every day, I'm like, I don't think I'm, I mean, it's like, I, 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 haven't, put any, I haven't put a day any time in Epic Night in a week until the day and I'm just like this sucks you know but I mean I will uh, I will try and take take on board your whole competitive thing and I'll you know I'll try and keep Plugio above Epic Night in terms of revenue I mean I, I don't think that's possible but <laughs> I don't know how that's possible given the given the you know the, the smaller monthly fee but maybe I can do it through scale of users or something I don't know well you know we never actually did a startup competition Our, no, we we've didn't. never done that we've only been competing on blog posts yeah which we both fall behind. So I got to jump on that. I haven't written a blog post since the, um, the Google, how I screwed up my Google acquisition. Right. And I had a conversation with Pat Maddox the other day we were at lunch and he said, you know, the problem is that when you have a big win, then you feel like everything has to live up to it. And, 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 and then you kind of freeze, like you can't do anything else. Yeah, because you're like, that's very true. So it's like 458 points. So it's like, now it feels like if I don't get something, at least gets like a couple hundred points or 150 points that it's a waste of time. <laughs> You're going to feel like such a loser. <laughs> which, which of course is not true because there's a certain amount of like, you know, luck involved and timing and certain times some stuff just is going to come out better. And, uh, but the reality is you just got to keep pushing. And, and, and I, we've talked about this before is that a lot of people who've reached, who've had a lot of success you know, scientists and mathematicians and artists, they started playing around with a small problem, an interesting, cute problem, and it just grew into something really important. And then after that, they want to go back and they only work on big problems, right? But they forget that what got them started with working on a small, interesting problem that was curious to them. Yeah. And that's a, that's a trap you can fall into. And I think I've, two things happened with me. One, mostly I just didn't have enough time because I've been, of all, the, all this consulting work, because in addition to Uber, I have three other contracts that are languishing that I got to hop back so on. So, what's your what's your next blog going to be about? Oh God, I got like I got like ten of them. I tell you what, I'll read them to you. and You tell me which I'll a few, and you tell me which ones you think. Okay. You want to you want to hear them? Yeah. You hear them? Okay. Let me find it. Well, one of them I got an email from. Um, you know, I wish I could remember who who emailed me about it, but they're like they really want me to write the article about how I get my consulting clients. Oh yeah. So I need to write. I but to should, be honest. Uh, that's not, in my opinion, I mean, it, it might be funny, but it's not going to be very, uh, it's not going to teach you very much. Because at the end of the day, the way you get your consulting clients is through kind of luck. There's <laughs> most, a certain amount. Yeah, most I, of the I, time, I mean, you just, it's a friend of a friend, you know, it's, it's not like you've specifically designed a plan to, to, to get your yeah, consulting clients. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll, I, uh, that's part of it. I, I think a lot of these blog posts do, too, it comes down to how well you execute it, you right. know? I mean, if yeah, it could be the best book post ever written. I mean, you know, yeah. What what happens is people write these articles and they're just kind of boring. Like they just say the predictable things. So if you can make it kind of funny or unexpected or interesting, I mean, I'm not saying I can necessarily do that, but I could be. It could still work depending on how. Okay, so that's how I how I find my consultancy work. What's the next one? Okay, um, you know, we'll see. I'm just gonna read out my. I've I've written down a bunch of like candidate a candidate title for each one, so I can remember the idea. I'm not saying that this is the title got an annoying project learn a new language okay nice yeah that's by good. the way yeah i'll come back to that one in a second too because it's something i want to talk about um and then was how to raise your consulting rate yep that's good things i'm amer- embarrassed that i don't know better <laughs> no Get, ruby python yeah. things like that too much of a good thing and taking on more than you can handle 
Mm, yeah, it could be okay. The first two are much better. Okay, applying the Y Combinator model to the television and film. That, that I hope. Yeah, thing. that could be interesting, yeah. But, but uh, not, not as instantly uh, hookable as catchy, the first two. Yeah. But still, it could be an interesting read. It could be more like a, sl- like a slow boil. Okay, how I get consulting work, an unsystematic approach. That yeah, was that could uh, be that could be good. Uh, um, and then another one based on something we talked about was fa- uh, Facebook's developer-driven model applied to writers. Um, yeah, applying the Y. Con- okay, I've done that. Um, freelancing feast or famine, kind of talking about that whole yeah. cycle that people need to understand. I think a little better in my experience with it. Um, going door to door or how I sold thirty thousand in SaaS accounts in two days. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I think that's one of my big ones. Um, uh, don't be afraid to compete. Uh, another one was called "Say." I just gave it a hook. To, uh, just a sort of a t- short title called "Save Me a Seat," which is that because you had asked me if I was jealous or envious of friends of mine who have done startups who have succeeded, like yeah. Isaac and Arnolf, who Isaac and I were both struggling, and now he has forty people working for him, and I'm still freelancing. And you know, I was at the same position too as. Um, Travis and you know he's he sold his company to Akamai right but I'm not I'm just like yeah I'll be there save me a seat I'm catching up you know I'm not like oh my god this is the night nice like, nice that's a good idea yeah I like that one yeah um how my equity was stolen more lessons from the front lines definitely yes <laughs> yeah. Yeah. um so so have you been taking note of the ones that I've said yes and here's the ones a, I've said no? why I turned down the CTO position at a rocket ship startup did you did you yeah that's that that sounds good did you take down take note of the ones I said yes and no? Yeah, yeah, no. I, you're the ones you say yes or no. The ones that I pretty much knew were going to be good ones. Have you got more? I got one more thing that okay, I want to talk about for you sure. Because I've got a bunch of stuff I want to talk talk about. I mean, but have you got more blogs? I got about titles? thirty more, but I think that's probably enough. I got fifty uh, that's more. That's enough. People are going to get bored. <laughs> 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 okay, listen. Yeah. I've just realized. You know what we never did? What race for helium three I've thought about that a few times in my list of things that I we suck. We so didn't do that. Anyway, um, look, <sighs> I, I feel like I should I should read out a few blog blog titles. Great. Um, Are they yours? E- <laughs> 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 yes. Go ahead. Let's hear them. Okay. Um, just looking now. Well, I think the most important blog ever to be written for business is to be written by me, and it's called "Man on a Wire Theory." Okay. <laughs> Has it got you? It grabbed you? I don't even know. I don't even know what it's means. It's not a good title. Okay, fair enough. No, I'm 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 saying that. Because nobody t- knows I, what you're talking about. I'm saying that tongue in cheek. But I, I do I do think that that I have this concept of man man on a wire theory and how it relates to business and how it's a fractal of business. And I've spoken briefly about it in a, in a couple of other shows, just mentioning it. And the more I think about it, the more more important I think that it could be applied to business. But um I don't know what the title's gonna be yet, but anyway, that's one. Um, and else what I have I thought about blogging about why podcasts are good why podcasts are good yep you know how they can help you Uh, I thought I could have a blog about how I let fear suffocate my startup for six months that's going to be a good one you like that that's good stories are good I've discovered I think they work for me anyway I think stories are good because they're more interesting to read than like five ways to do X you know right it's just it, these pedantic posts that just say, this is how you have to do it. And it's, they get really boring. And stories are just, we're, they're just more, as long as they're told reasonably well and it's, and it's a reasonably interesting story, they're more fun to read. You know? So I mean, when was the last time you went to a movie theater and listened to somebody pedantically tell you how to do something? <laughs> no. Another <laughs> one I've got is, everything I knew about building a startup was wrong. You like that? That sounds 
Yeah. Um, it's about testing, really. We think it's about what, you know, like I said, I sent you that page the other day and I said, what do you think? And you had a discussion with someone and they uh, that, who was the testing guy who you took, spoke to about that? Lance Jones. Yeah, Lance Jones. And, and basically him and his team would kind of laugh at that. They're like, it, it, it doesn't matter what I think, let's test it kind of thing. Right, right. right. And I think that, I think that most people in the world, when they build anything, you know, especially software online or whatever, they, they kind of take so much of their personal preference into account. But actually, yeah. in, in our new world, where, where you've got billions of people that you can test against, it's, it's a different kind of scenario. Right. So that's kind of some of the ones that I'm thinking that's of. It? Yeah. Only five? What is that, five? Yeah, only five, but... I think I'd go with a fear one. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good title. That's a reasonably good title. I mean, there could be a variation on, but I think that's your title too. I think that'll do it. If you do a good job executing, and I don't mean writing, like, and I mean spend three or four hours, come back to it, do a few rewrites, really make it tight. I think you could go big on that one. I think I might do man on a wire theory first because I've just got a, I've got, I've got a bug about it. But then I'll get back onto that fear. Got to come up with a better title though, because nobody's gonna. That's not going to catch at all. Right. That's that's not that's not going to catch anyone's attention, um, and you, you need to get somebody to catch a ton, attention to get off the front to get off the page. The, well, the title on my blog the it can be called a, "Man on a Wire Theory," but on Hacker News it can be called something different. I wouldn't do that. I would give it a better title. You can come with a better title than that. Okay. But the 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 an idea is, can be interesting. But I think that your fear one. I mean, I would spend the time and like I like I mentioned, I probably spent eight hours in total on my. Um, Google acquisition one. Yeah. And yeah, as you saw, there was a huge payoff for that. Mm-hmm. So if you got something that you think... <laughs> yeah, be- but that's assuming oh. just spending eight hours on something, you're going to get 458 points on Hacker News and a thousand no, people signing up. No, that's not true. But, but <laughs> if you got a... Oh, here's the thing. Here's what I'd say, though, is if you have what is a good idea, that's a good idea, I think. That's a good title. I'm not saying you spend eight hours, but I mean, you, you're, you, you're pretty... You seem to spend like 30 or 45 minutes. So maybe for you, it's spending two, two hours. Right. Maybe three hours in aggregate over a few days if you keep coming back to it a couple of times. Um, and that might be pl- plenty of time for you. You might be a faster writer than me too. Right. Um, but just, just make sure you're writing like, this is as good as I can do with this. Mm-hmm. Like just do, execute on it, make it really good. And I think you got a good shot of that going, clearing 100, 200 points on Hacker News. Anything beyond that is just sort of like, you know, I mean, if, if you get up over 100 points, you, that's, that's killer. Anything above that is gravy. Well, I was thinking of, of calling the man on a wire theory one the most important business blog post you'll ever read. Nah, see, I think that sounds too, um, that's just too scam, too sales lettery. Right. And, and you got to remember, if you're talking hacker news, the crowds are too sophisticated. They see you coming a mile away. You can't be cute. You can't trick them. You can't outthink them. They see you trying to outthink them and it pisses them off. Well, I don't do- get don't try and do that. Just write a as illustrative as, of a name as you can. It's catchy, but you got it's, it's 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 a fine art. I mean, I'm not saying that I always do it, but I have to work really hard to. I feel like I've had to work really hard to come up with names that would catch their eye, but didn't look like, but wasn't trying to be. You know, what I find funny is we open the show with uh, the adage that there is no there is no one truth. Whatever anyone thinks could be their truth, but it's not everyone's truth. And now you're saying, but you have to do it like this. There is only one truth. Uh. Okay, write that blog total and see how it does. Yeah, I think I will. <laughs> the most important blog post you ever read. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I just, I, I think that you'd increase your odds. But you know, now I'm interested, curious to see how to go ahead and do it that way. But you, what's more important than that is the quality of the writing, right? Because the title, here's the thing. 
unless the title is just complete crap, I mean that can tank it. But you just you need to have enough to get off the to get onto the front page, and then it becomes more about this the content, right? Yeah. Because once it gets on the front page and gets seven or eight or nine points, and it's going to be there at least for long enough for some people to you know to see it, then those people actually read it and get the votes, and that's what keeps it up. So it's really about the content. Yeah, it's kind of like the difference between you know a a, a marketing campaign um, to get a movie into the theaters. It's like you might get people the first weekend, which means get to the front page, but then after that, it's like what do people say coming out of the theater? You know, and it's the same thing. It's like the the front page, the new page for Hacker News is your marketing campaign, and the actual quality of the movie is what's your writing. Right. That's my thought on it. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm being all pedantic, right? <laughs> so, so what, what's great? What's, so, so sayeth the guy who's written only five blog posts. <laughs> what's great about that title? Pro- I think I might call it probably the most important web app blog post you'll ever read. What's so great about that is the very aspect of that is man on a wire theory. And I'll explain that in the blog post itself. I don't want to get into it too much more. But um, yeah. It's cursive or meta yeah, or something. We'll do that, yeah. I might like that. So... Um, nope. I got something else. Okay, go. Can we make that the last one? Because I've got to, uh, got to take my mom to the airport. Sure. Um, actually, the, you know, the, the one of the blog posts is like, if you've got an annoying problem, learn a new language. Oh, yeah. So... You know, for one of the projects I'm working on is with David Fogel, with who we interviewed, who did the uh, built the Grandmaster Checkers Playground algorithm, mm-hmm. evolved it using artificial intelligence in neural evolution. So I'm working with him on uh, some financial stuff, um, and I can't get specific on it, but um, you know, some of the stuff I have to do is a lot of low-level data crap. Right, because you have to have massive amounts of data, and you got to clean it up and download it and run a lot of quantitative you know, stuff on it. And I was just like, I was dragging my feet on it because it it was just not very interesting. Second of all, I had, you know, five other, you know, paying projects pulling at me or clients pulling at me. I should say three other client paying clients pulling at me. And then, uh, but the other thing was I didn't have, I, since I switched from windows to a Mac, I didn't have, I'm used to developing desktop apps using C sharp and .net. Mm -hmm. Right. That's the idea I use. That's the language I use. So, I'm like, well, what the hell am I going to use to write this? I don't want to. I don't really want to write C sharp stuff. I don't know if there's an IDE that I uh, that I can use in the Mac. Plus, and I, I hadn't gotten around to installing Parallels and installing Windows. Titanium, like, right? Yeah, no, nah, I, I didn't want to do that. So I said, you know what? I'm going to um, right because let me ask you a question. Install, installing Parallels to run Windows on your machine is going to take what? Installing what? Four hours? Maybe? It's just a pain. It's just a pain in the butt. Even I mean, t- for me, even running Parallels, it's just too slow. I can't use it. I just oh, so irritating. Yeah, I just I just haven't I have the box parallels box sitting on my desktop. For anyone who doesn't know, parallels allows you to run Windows on a Mac on OS ten. Like I have I have like one of the fastest Macs and it's still too slow for me. Just I because I like immediate responsiveness in the apps that I use. And you can you can really sense like, you know, a five hundred millisecond latency between every keystroke or whatever. And it's just irritating. Yeah, no, I, I can't do. That. I'm not going to do that. So I said, all right. I'm gonna, I, I said two languages. I thought my, I might want to learn that. I it was one was Python and yeah. it was OCaml. Which one? And I was kind of OCaml. Okay. And I was like, you know what? I said that sounds like a fun language to learn. It OCaml just sounds pretty cool. OCaml. Yeah. O C A M L. But then I was like, you know what? OCaml might be okay to learn after I know Python because the fact that I don't know Python or or Ruby is kind of lame. Right. 
you know, it's like, you know, I mean, it's like, right, you don't have to, I mean, I know a lot of other languages. I know C++, I know JavaScript, I know PHP, I know C Sharp, I know et cetera, da, 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 right? But those languages are kind of falling out of, like, the cut, we're cutting edge developments being done. Yeah. Um, not JavaScript. JavaScript is really hot right now. But I felt like I should know. So I figured I'll do Python. And so, obviously, and Python comes installed on OS X, right? So I, I didn't even have to install anything. Not that it would have taken more than two minutes. But it's already running, and it just can, and I just could write it in whatever text editor, save it to a file, and I just go to the command line, Python, and then, you know, xyz.py, whatever the name of the file is, .py, and run it and execute it. And I tell you, Python is the easiest thing I've ever had to learn. I mean, I, like, learned it in real time. I had, like, my, my you know, you know, uh, web browser open, and I'd be like, okay, how do I do inheritance? How do I do a class? All right, how do I do a method? Bang, bang, bang. A class method, instance method, bang. It is, it was so easy. It was fun. I spent four hours, I, I spent four hours working on the project, and I, you know, I wrote like a few different classes and a few, you know, with, you know, half a, each have a half a different dozen methods, reading a bunch of data from different files, reading a bunch of calculations, and all this stuff. And in Python, I'd never even looked at Python before, really. Mm. So, well, that's because it, I guess it's, it's just obviously, like all programming languages, pretty similar. Yeah, it is. I mean, if you know, it's it's different in the sense that it's not the curly brace thing. But who cares about that? And you just indent. Yeah. I mean, if if, you, if I was learning something that was really different, like Factor or you know, or, or Haskell, maybe. But the fact that it's it's one of these algol based languages, um, and you know, it's it's simple. So anyway, I thought that was really neat because. Mm. It did make the process of writing doing some really low because if you want to learn a different if you want to learn a new language you got to do really simple stuff first open a file read stuff out print stuff to screen do some calculations right that's the stuff you need to do but doing boring stuff when there's no point to it is really hard to get yourself to do. I'm when surprised you, got stuff. you didn't do that in Perl though because Perl the kind of text manipulation I mean nothing beats Perl really. I hate Perl. Oh. Ooh. I have looked at. I've Dems tried to, fighting words. I hate it. I'm not. I don't make. I'm not casting any aspersions to anybody who uses Perl. Go for it. I know Gabriel Weinberg's a big user of Perl. That's fine. I just hate the way it looks. It just looks like a mess to me. Okay. But you know, it's well, fine. you can, it's you can my, program Perl to look like a mess, or you can program it not to. I mean, it it just yeah. depends on whether you want it to look that way. But when I look at Python, I like the way it looks. It okay. looks like how the kind of language that I would like, <laughs> right? And it did. That's I like, funny. Right? Like, that, that's a good. That is a good reason to like a language. A lot of people said that about. Ruby. Yeah, I think Ruby's the same way. It's like some people look at Ruby and they're like, oh, it just feels comfortable. It just looks the way. And I think Python's like that way for me. I look at it and I go, oh, this looks really nice. And it was. It was so everything that I, every, it was almost like every time I thought, I, I'll bet you this is how it works and that's, that's how it worked. You know what? That, that bracket thing, though, that, I mean, I'm, it's so kind of ingrained in me, brackets. That, to, oh, brace. to, you mean the curly braces? Yeah, braces to, to enable me to see code blocks. That kind of indenting thing would just irritate the hell out of me. I'd feel see, like indenting. Code... I don't look at braces as much as indenting. Indenting is what meaning stuff. What means is more meaningful to me visually is the indention. That's why when people don't indent stuff, like when they're switch blocks, they don't have their cases indented. I'm like, mm -hmm. damn it, what are you doing? You know, right. this is a sub element. It is indented. Well, indenting <laughs> and brackets is what is is what I like yeah. to do. Yeah, but I can get away. If there are no braces there and it's indented, it's fine. Like if you look at CoffeeScript, which is like a, a sort of minimalist version of, of JavaScript. Yeah. It kind of, um, you know, I mean, I look at that, I'm like, that's so easy. Anyway, so I'd highly recommend um, if you're ever facing a problem or a project or some aspect of a project that you're just really just um, resisting or procrastinating about, think of like some little language that you thought would be fun to learn or that you think you should know and just 
do it in that language. Because all of a sudden now I'm super excited about working on the project because then I get to play with more Python, learn Python. <laughs> That's good. Maybe <laughs> I should check out Python. Oh, well, a yeah, camel was, sounds interesting as well. It does too. I was this close to doing it. I was really close to trying out camel, but I said, you know, I just, because they use some Python and Uber and I said, you know, I should just get up. I feel, when, when, some, when I talk to some clients and they go, and, uh, and they're talking about Python and I, and I have to say, I don't know Python that well. It's just, it's embarrassing. Right. I mean, it's right. kind of stupid. And just like, you know, they, oh, we use Git. And I'm like, I've never used Git before. <laughs> I feel like an idiot. It's like, oh, I've never seen TV before. Oh, that's really cool. You have television, you know. It's just, yeah, I mean, they're like, come on, dude. You know, cell phones? Wow, that's really neat. So there's just a few. That's the thing I write in a blog post, things I'm embarrassed that I don't know better or don't know. And Git and Python, either Git would be one and then the Python Ruby combo, one of the two. You need to know at least one of the two, I think, not to be a little embarrassed. JavaScript would be an embarrassing thing, I think, not to know nowadays. But, um, okay, one last thing I want to ask you. Do we have any um, contributors to thank? I, I don't think so. Uh, and well, the reason is? Ah, because I haven't got the uh, donation thing up and running. So again. we're not making money because you didn't open a crash register? Yeah, basically. Okay, so we need to get that back online. Okay. <laughs> and we, need some, we need to get some contributions so that we can take this thing to the next level, please. However, however, don't try and contribute anything right now because there's nowhere to send it. How long is it going to take you? A day? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But you know what we should say? We should, we you should... don't know. No, that's not, a, that's not a good answer. What? How long is it going to take you to do it? I, I don't know. A minute? I don't actually know. I don't know. It's the most expensive un-two minutes of your life. There you go. Um, we'll get it sorted for the next discussion show. How's that? No, sooner than that. Let's just sort it by the end of the week. Come on. All right. Look it up. Give it Make a it try. Happen. Okay. All right. What I want to say is Happy New Year. Happy New Year. If you'd freaking let me. <laughs> Don't you think, like, because people will be listening to this tonight or, or possibly tomorrow, uh, and it's basically going to be just the, the turn of the new year. So we should really say Happy New Year. If you're listening to this podcast just before the new year, well, Definitely a very happy new year to you. Yes, happy new year to, to all of you. And, and if you listen to this podcast in 2011, guess what? I don't know. It's happy new year. <laughs> hey, one thing we need to explain, we were supposed to have uh, Jason Calacanis on this week. You're right, yeah. But uh, he got stuck in New York because of the weather, I think, right? Because of the, the, the Eastern Seaboard got slammed with yeah. the snow. So we have him, we have a confirmed for next week, is that we're right? We're kind of scheduled for or the 10th. Half, the 10th, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he is still coming on. Right, and great. we sh we should send an e an email to um, Adam Curry and John Dvorak. Hey, why don't you do that? I got I got a few more interviews. I got a few. I got a line up bunch of interviews, and I think it's time for another UFO show. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's time to go there again. <laughs> I want to go into space. I want to. I, I got some ideas of some people to invite. <laughs> it's time for it's time for a it's time for a UFO show. I think. All right. All right, man. Well, that's a wrap. We're out.